welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series offers continuing medical education credit. The American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Information about credit claiming for this and other episodes can be found at www.education.aaai.org forward slash podcasts. Credit claiming will be available for one year from the episode's original release date. Today's topic will discuss clinician wellness, burnout, and finding the right work-life balance. And we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Giselle Mosnayam as today's guest. Dr. Mosnayam practices allergy and immunology in the Division of Pulmonary, Allergy, and Critical Care in the Department of Medicine at North Shore University Health System in Evanston, Illinois, and is an assistant clinical professor of medicine in the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Dr. Mosnayam is the current president-elect of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, and has extensive research experience surrounding asthma disparities. She is also the senior author for the recently published Academy Workgroup Report, Physician Wellness and Allergy and Immunology, and a co-author on the Clinician Wellness During the COVID-19 Pandemic paper, which is recently just published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. I cannot imagine a better guest for today's topic. Neither Dr. Mosnayam nor I have any disclosures relevant to today's discussion. With that, Dr. Mosnayam, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, we are recording this in early May 2020, and of course, it's in the middle of the global COVID-19 pandemic. And today's topic of wellness is more pertinent than ever. But before we discuss that in more detail, I'd like to just ask you, how are you doing through all this? Thankfully, my family is safe and healthy, and I am trying to stay positive and grateful and do what I can to help. How are you doing? Uh, I'm the same, thank you. We're, we're doing what we can and working from home, and, and you have children at home, is that correct? Correct. I have my 21-year-old daughter that is home from college, and I have my 16-year-old daughter who is a sophomore in high school. Okay, so some remote learning going on in your house as well, correct? Yes, how about you? Yes, uh, our children are 7 and 10, so a little more hands-on, but they're doing great with everything. And We're approaching the end of the school year, and we'll see how summer goes, uh, but <laughs> we're all learning as we go. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad things are going well for the most part, and so let's start off by defining some important terms that we're going to use throughout today's discussion. The words wellness and burnout are used quite often, but can you tell us what they actually mean? So physician wellness is how much you feel your work makes a difference in people's lives, the quality of your relationships with 
people most important to you and how much you enjoy yourself. And then burnout is a long-term stress reaction and it's marked by emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and you feel decreased feelings of personal accomplishment. Mm. So it sounds like it's really more than just work. It's really encompasses an entire person and, and how their lives impact them. Is that correct? Yes. Now, what about the term resilience? How does that relate to wellness and burnout? So resilience is how well you cope with stress. So those qualities that enable you to thrive in the face of adversity. And I think resilience is a very important quality. However, I also want to make sure that in this context, we, we talk about this um, appropriately. Um, resilience training is a viable solution if the underlying problem is a lack of individual resilience. However, if the problems are with the healthcare system and the working conditions, making someone more resilient is not going to solve the problem. So assigning resiliency training to physicians who are already overworked is not the right message. It's telling physicians that they are the problem as opposed to organizational structure. And it's also telling them that there's a simple solution, just, you know, that it's about them when really there need to be system changes. Mm. That's, that's I'm really glad that you separated that out. And I think, you know, a lot of our listeners and myself, especially, we sometimes receive these tone deaf messages from well-intentioned employers that say mandatory wellness meetings or <laughs> things along those lines. <laughs> and stress. Um, so I, I really like that you put that in that context. Um, now, do we have any data uh, that we can use to inform us regarding how pervasive burnout is among physicians and healthcare workers? Yes, when you look at the literature, there is some variation depending on which sources you look at. But overall, the rate of burnout among US physicians varies between about 45 and 54%. So half of all physicians uh, reports are are, quali are classified as having burnout. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Wow. Um, why? What are some of the reasons? Do we have any idea why physicians and medical professionals are at risk for burnout? I mean, that's that's just extraordinary. It is, and I had some preconceived notions, and I was wrong. So I can hmm. share some of those with you. Sure. So at first I thought, well, maybe it's because we have this very long and rigorous training. We go through medical school and residency and for allergy immunology, we go through fellowship. So I thought, well, maybe it's because we've invested so many additional years in training. But actually, when you look at other professions, such as people with a JD or PhD, that additional training protects against burnout in professions outside of medicine, but it does not when it pertains to medicine. Hmm. And then the other thing I thought, well, maybe it's because we work so many hours. 
But when you look at studies that control for age, sex, relationship status, and hours worked per week, physicians report higher rates of burnout. So we can't say that it's simply because we work more. So when you look at um, studies, for example, out of the Agency for Healthcare Quality and Research, they cite specific factors that are unique to medicine, such as the fact that we lack control of pace, uh, we have time pressures, we're working in a chaotic environment, we have the administrative burden of the electronic medical record documentation, and also organizational culture. So, so those are some of the specific factors. That's really interesting. Um, and within that, do we know if there are certain segments within the profession that are more at risk than others? For instance, do men and women experience burnout at the same rates, or do some specialties have higher rates than others? Yes. So if you look um, across specialties, um, according to a 2020 Medscape survey, there were over 15,000 physicians participating across 29 specialties. There were higher rates of burnout in urology, neurology, nephrology, endocrine, and family medicine, and specialties reporting lowest rates of burnout included preventive medicine, ophthalmology, orthopedic psychiatry, and ENT. And allergy was kind of in the middle, so we're not at either extreme. And then if you look at specific groups that report higher rates of burnout, uh, female physicians have a 30 to 60% increased odds of experiencing burnout. Um, but if you look at other studies, gender is not consistently an independent predictor of burnout after you adjust for other factors. Hmm. And a couple of other things which I thought were interesting is um, younger physicians, are 200% more likely to experience burnout compared to their older peers. And physicians that have um, a child 21 years of age or younger in the household are also at an increased rate of experiencing burnout. Now, I know a lot of these surveys are, are not necessarily designed to assess causality, um, and it's more correlation and association. But um, what are your thoughts on, on some of those you know, findings and factors that seem to be related with higher or maybe even lower rates of burnout? Is it more just extension of responsibilities outside of work and inside the home in regards to being a parent or children or, or things like that? Or do you have any thoughts along those lines? My personal thoughts is that Yes, when you have not only the work responsibilities, but also the home responsibilities, then there's more emotional exhaustion. Um, you give a lot to your patients at work, and then you're giving a lot to children, elderly parents um, at home, and so you're kind of in, in the middle there. Mm. You know, as an aside, and we're going to talk more about specifics during the pandemic, but I noticed this myself actually just this week of I don't have the buffer anymore that I once had of during my commute. And I would see patients all day long. Uh, and as you mentioned, you, you sort of you're, you're tired and you give and you give and you give. And then I have that 30 minutes typically before I walk in to my children and my wife and 
you know, um, want to be a tenant for them, but that's now gone. Um, so <laughs> it took me six weeks to realize that, but, um, yeah, it's just, you sort of have this continuation of giving and giving and giving, and it just drains you out. Uh, I don't know if you've had a similar experience or not. Yes. Um, right now, I think, um, we are all very, very stressed, um, trying to cope at work, trying to cope with all the changes at home. Um, so absolutely, I can relate to that. Yeah. Now, um, you, you brought up some of these great key factors that seem to contribute or be associated with burnout for medical professionals and physicians specifically. But are there different stages that people can go through if they're becoming burned out, or is it is it one size fits all? Is it just the you know the switch gets flipped and you say, "Yep, now I'm burned out," or you know, tell us a little bit more about that. So there are different stages of burnout. Um, at the beginning, your stress varies from day to day, um, but you never really become symptomatic. So you have good days and bad days, um, but no true symptoms. And then in phase two, um, you're feeling tired, exhausted, you start to become more cynical, and it becomes more often than not. You know, you're just hanging in there trying to do the best you can and convince yourself that this is how all doctors feel. And then you get to phase three. So here, burnout is really having a major impact on your career and your quality of life. And you say to yourself, I just can't go on like this. And you start thinking about leaving medicine or maybe self-medicating with drugs or alcohol and the quality of your personal relationships can suffer. Wow, so it, not necessarily continuum, but definitely um, different levels of impact, uh, some more subtle than others. Um, and I think we're gonna talk a lot more about some of the signs and symptoms that people can be aware of in themselves and others, but that's a great way to, to kind of at least frame that um, for the next part of our discussion here. Now, going back to what we just touched upon, um, you talked a lot about risk um, and, you know, with this current COVID-19 pandemic, we have all just changed everything about our lives, our personal lives, our professional lives. And, you know, as physicians and medical professionals, we're faced with challenges we didn't even foresee six weeks ago. Um, and so can you describe how some of that can really impact our own wellness and, and potentially contribute to burnout? Absolutely. So, um there are some specific domains or areas of our lives where we can look at this. So if we look at patient care, um, we were all concerned that the healthcare system was gonna be overwhelmed. We weren't gonna have enough ventilators and ICU beds or doctors to take care of patients. And like many allergists across the country, I was in a labor pool um, and could be called to take care of inpatients. Now, I haven't done inpatient mm. internal medicine in 20 years, so mm. I was prepared to do it because we had to, but thankfully um, I was not called, but colleagues in my practice did get called in and they were taking care of internal medicine patients on the floors. And then you think of your own personal safety. So um, at our institution and many places across the country, 
there weren't enough masks and gloves and we needed to take care of patients, but we didn't feel that we necessarily had the proper um, PPE. And so then you're concerned that you're gonna expose yourself to COVID, you're gonna bring that home and expose your family members. And I think that caused a lot of anxiety. And then finally, um, finances. Um, there's short and long-term financial implications. Um, private practices, my, my husband is in um, private practice and um, people in private practice have had to cut salaries and staff. And personally, um, I work um, for a large institution and we're being required to take PTO days and we will be taking pay cuts. Mm -hmm. And we realize that this is happening across the country um, and this is a very unsettling um, aspect. And then you have all the stressors at home. Um, like you said, your, your kids are younger and you're having to deal with making sure that they're doing their online learning, that they're maintaining their routines, their mental health. And uh, my 21-year-old daughter was studying abroad in Spain, and I had to get her home quickly and, and worry about mm -hmm. that. And um, her summer internship, you know, we worry about that. Um, and then my younger daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, we worry about, will she be able to take the tests for college? How is the whole college application process going to go? Um, so there's just so many factors. Yeah, well, I appreciate you outlining some of those those key factors that we're all dealing with in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I've, and personally, I've noticed that I was hoping for some sort of an ebb and a flow to all this, but my goodness, there are just days where it seems like it's one thing after another, um, both professionally and personally. And, um, you know, I don't know if we have weekends anymore or necessarily, you know, a, a defined <laughs> work time throughout the day. <laughs> just kind of all bleeds into the next, but... Uh, that's why this conversation is so important. Um, <laughs> so speaking of which, you know, help us better understand what are, you know, some of the signs uh, that somebody, that people need to be aware of to recognize burnout in themselves or their colleagues. Uh, are there obvious signs? Are there subtle indications? Help us better understand some of these things. So one important sign is emotional exhaustion. So you're drained after the day at the office and you just can't recover. So um, the weekend comes and you have some time off, hopefully you can recharge, but you don't recharge, you just are spiraling downward in terms of your energy. And then another thing is when you um, notice that you feel like you're being put out by your patients, um, and this is referred to as compassion fatigue, and it's often actually easier to notice in your colleagues than yourself. You notice colleagues making making comments. And then the other thing is also the reduced sense of accomplishment. Um, you question whether, you know, what's the use or what, you know, what am I doing? Does it really matter? So those are some of the signs. Um, anything physically that people... Um, you know, may experience, uh, whether it be, you know, interruptions in sleep or you know, muscle pain or anything along those lines? 
Absolutely. Sleep is a huge sign. So people have trouble falling asleep. They can't stay asleep. Um, and if we don't have good sleep, then that just makes this all worse. Mm. And before you mentioned drugs and alcohol use and sort of self-medicating, uh, is that a, a common thing that occurs when people go through burnout or does it really just depend upon the individual and, and prior habits and things like that? It depends on the individual, but it is frightening that we see the suicide rate, the divorce rate, the rate of alcohol and drug addiction um, higher in physicians and can be related to burnout. Mm, absolutely. Oh, hey, Dr. Mosnaya, feel free not to answer this, but if you're willing to share, uh, if you have gone through it, have you ever actually gone through burnout? Um, and if so, what did that look like for you personally? So I don't think that I've gone through um, burnout per se, but I've definitely had days where I'm running behind schedule, I can't finish my notes, and I have that sinking feeling that I'm going to be up late at night at the computer closing charts, and I keep getting interrupted because other patients are having reactions to their drug challenges or their allergy shots, and I'm feeling emotionally exhausted. And what I do is, before I go into the next patient room, I force myself to take a deep breath and to pause and remind myself why I went into medicine and that I need to be able to demonstrate empathy and compassion for each patient. And I also try to think about how it feels when I take a family member to the doctor um, and that kind of grounds me, but definitely have those days. Mm, yeah, that, that's fantastic advice. And I agree with you 100%. The person on the other side of the door waiting for us in the exam room, they don't care what we're going through. Uh, <laughs> they need our help. <laughs> so um, as hard as it is, you know, for us to be our best version of our professional selves for each and every patient, boy, that can take a toll over time. Was that something that you, do you think that you were experiencing these things for a, a long period of time before you were able to recognize it and, and sort of be um, proactive in addressing it? Or was it something that you seemed to notice relatively soon when, when these things started happening? Um, I think I noticed it, I think I noticed it relatively soon, but it took me a while to think about it and process it and be able to label it and mm. then be able to act on it. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of folks listening just to, to hear your perspective on that. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned before because I think it's really important and the external factors that contribute to, to burnout. Um, and everybody's going to be in a different situation, um, but what are some general things that people can change regarding their professional responsibilities uh, if they are, are burned out or worried about becoming burned out? So the, um, the Academy has an excellent online toolkit that addresses some of these issues. Um, I'd like to highlight just a couple of them. Mm -hmm. So the first one is 
optimize the use of technology. So I think as physicians, we are perfectionists. We were, we had to be excellent students and had to be very conscientious and always want to do things perfectly. But when it comes to writing notes, you really have to reevaluate the purpose of the physician note in the EMR. And you have to be able to abandon perfection in order to regain time. So um, I do recommend setting aside all social media, all technology, and sitting in front of your computer and just focusing and making sure that um, all the clinical information is there, but um, a lot of information is excessive and could be abbreviated. So again, making sure when you're doing charts to be focused and do good charts, but not spending excessive time. Another thing is um, in our practice, we have over 70% of patients using the patient portal. So rather than having to call people to tell them about lab test results or things like that, if they're on the portal, you can message them, which is much faster. And then make sure and use those specialty-specific templates and smart phrases. If you're doing the same note over and over again, use a smart phrase. And another thing I found very helpful is I try to meet with our EPIC trainer um, once a month to once a quarter, and I get a report of my usage. How much time am I free texting? How much are smart phrases? How much time am I using the medical record outside of clinical hours? And get their feedback on how you can become more efficient. Spending some of this time up front can save you so much time in documentation. So that is one huge area where I think you can make a difference um, and you can be proactive about that. And then another area is that um, I think that physicians feel there is a lack of sense of community and we feel isolated. I think in the past we used to pick up the phone and talk to each other about consults and now everything is through the electronic medical record. Um, I know that on days when I'm in the office with colleagues, it's a much more enjoyable day. Um, lately with COVID, we only have one physician in the office each day of the week just for patients that need to be seen so that we can keep our patients with severe asthma out of the emergency room and out of immediate care center. So I'm there by myself and it's lonely. I, I miss having um, colleagues. So um, I think having colleagues, you know, um, that interaction is really important and participating in your local regional state allergy society or in the academy or in the college can also give you that sense of community. Well, that's great advice. And, you know, what a novel concept. We can use technology to our advantage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to take some of those tips, actually. I love the idea of sitting down with somebody who knows what they're doing to review your own practice and, and try to find shortcuts and ways to take advantage of that. That's fantastic. Thank you. 
Um, now, what about per, with personal wellness? What are some of the things that any of us can do to really, you know, focus on and improve upon our own personal wellness? So I also think that the um, the Quad AI online wellness toolkit um, is very helpful in this regard. It gives excellent tips and resources to help you achieve your wellness goals in the areas of getting enough sleep, practicing mindfulness, maintaining good nutrition, exercise, and focusing on relationships. And um, if you don't mind, do you have any personal practices that you'd like to share with our listeners, including things that you, you do daily um, that you found to be helpful or anything that you try to do when your tank seems to be running lower than usual? The things that re-energize me is being with my family. So I love to take a walk down to the lakefront with my husband um, or maybe just go get coffee with one of my daughters. Um, those things make me happy. And do you still find that during the uh, quarantine? <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, yesterday um, I went for a walk with my daughter after dinner, and that definitely helped me to recharge. On the weekends, my husband and I have been going for these amazing two-hour walks. Oh. Um, so I think that I think we're trying to make sure that we are focusing on family. We're never going to get this time back. So we definitely want to um to make the most of it. I I love that you said that. I agree. Um even on days when I feel stressed, it it's it is sort of a, this mixed blessing, right? And the silver lining behind all of this chaos of we have all this time um, with our families or the people that we're at home with that we, you know, either took for granted before or didn't appreciate necessarily. So um, I agree 100%. Um, and, you know, I think we all struggle with achieving this right work-life balance. And sometimes it's stressful for us to read about people, you know, all these Instagram influencers or people saying, oh, this is how I lead, you know, the perfect life. And look at me. I have it all figured out. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we all know that in actuality, we all struggle. Uh, so do you have any general advice that everyone can consider to help them find that right balance in their own life? So I feel very strongly that there are no set rules here and don't be too hard on yourself. So I think it's important for each of us to define our own work-life balance and accept that it changes over time. I think when my kids were little, it was very different than it is now. And also in terms of work and family and personal interests, that's very unique for each person. And you have to find what's right for you. And um, you mentioned the, the online toolkit, which is fantastic. But what are some other ways that the Academy is working to improve the overall wellness of our members and practicing allergists? So um, if you go to the um, resources for AI clinicians during the COVID-19 pandemic, so if you go to the Academy website, that'll pop up. And you'll see that in addition to the online toolkit, um, there's the physician wellness workgroup report. So that was very helpful. 
And then there's another manuscript um, wellness for the allergist immunologist during the COVID-19 pandemic. And then there's also information about the Twitter chat. So I think that all of these are very helpful. Mm. Do we, um, is it too early to tell or do we have any sense about the response from members or people interested in these things? And um, do, we have, do we know if they know how to access them other than hearing you say about it? So I think that's a great question. I think we do need to start to collect metrics. We start. We need to start to see how many people are going to the website, how many people are accessing these resources. Um, up to now, I've gotten anecdotal personal feedback from people that they're finding it very helpful, but you're right, it would be good to have um, more data on this, and hopefully that would help drive what further resources would be helpful to create for people. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's um, it's nice to see the Academy is uh, invested in this topic. Um, it's important because if we're not, you know, the best version of ourselves and, um, you know, that's what the organization thrives on, right, as members. So um, let's go back to the Academy work group report that you were involved with. Um, how did that come about? So I love sharing this story. <laughs> the workgroup report came about thanks to three very talented individuals and two academy initiatives. Um, Anil Nanda, Teresa Bingaman, and Hemant Sharma each independently came up with a physician wellness idea for their Leadership Institute mentorship project. And um, they joined forces. And the three of them together, along with their mentors, so um, Anil worked with um, Jim Sussman, Teresa Bingman with Sharon Markovics, and Hamar um, Sharma with Dave Khan. They spearheaded um, these initiatives. And then when the physician wellness work group expanded, then we um, moved it into the Innovation Center of the Office of Practice Management. So um, again, they have done a fantastic job. They have tremendous energy. Um, so I'm very grateful that they spearheaded this. It sounds like a great uh, collaboration from everybody and it's amazing how they all sort of thought of it independently as part of their, their Leadership Institute pro, uh, projects that they're working on. Well, tell us about the, the work group and the survey. What new information did you learn through that? And um, how can we use that information to really you know, drive change? So the good news is that although about 35% of allergists that responded to the survey said that they are experiencing burnout, and um, I would like that number to be zero, um, so 35% um, is unacceptable. However, it is still better compared to other specialties. So um, on the one hand, it's 35%, but on the other hand, it's encouraging that there's lower rates of burnout in allergy immunology compared to um, overall physician uh, workforce in the United States. Um, it was interesting, if you look at the survey, 
it was sent out to a random sample of 1,035 fellows and members. And it was sent out every two weeks, um, six times. So people had six opportunities to respond. We had about a 13% response rate, so 138 respondents, which again, on the one hand sounds low, but this is um, a typical response rate for other academy surveys. And 42% uh, of the respondents were women, which is very much in line with the fact that about 40% of our membership are women. Mm -hmm. And we sent out a mini Z, which is a wellness survey originating from the Z or zero burnout program. And we also asked some additional demographic questions. So the fact that the numbers are lower compared to other specialties can be used as a tool to attract medical students and residents into allergy immunology. Um, we do need to continue periodic monitoring and hopefully uh, a survey with more respondents. And we also need to assess the high risk groups. So in the survey, um, the younger or mid-career allergists, which is consistent with the findings from the survey we talked about at the beginning of our call that um, younger allergists and people with um, children at home are more at risk, and the survey also found women to be more at risk. And we are working on additional programming at regional, state, local societies, um, also the annual meeting and online. So we're hoping that um, these results further um, inform interventions and programming for the future. That's great, and I know we all look forward to seeing more and more of that. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Mosnayem, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today and to discuss this extremely important topic, a uh, very timely topic, of course, with all that's going on in the world. And I found this to be extremely helpful. Uh, before we depart, is there anything else that you would like to add? We covered a lot, and I have nothing more to add right now. Uh, thank you so much for having me on today's podcast. I greatly enjoyed our conversation, and I hope it was helpful for our listeners. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Information about credit claiming for this and other episodes can be found at www.education.aaai.org forward slash podcasts. Credit claiming will be available for one year from the episode's original release date. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation, including the Academy's extensive online resources surrounding both clinician wellness and the COVID-19 pandemic. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.